Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. I hope all of you are having a good weekend wherever you may live in the world. It's good to be on the air, and I look forward to uh, giving you all another um, podcast uh, segment episode to the uh, book topic series we are uh, discussing, The Other Side of the Night, The Carpathia, The Californian, and The Night the Titanic Was Lost by Daniel Allen Butler. Something that um, I just remembered uh, yesterday, but then again, I already knew that the uh, anniversary date was coming up. For those of you who were with me uh, last year, um, in fall of last year, who uh, were on the air with me when we um, talked about the uh, wreck of the Carl uh, Bradley, or rather I should say the wreck of the Carl D. Bradley, yesterday marked uh, the 64th anniversary of that uh, Great Lake um rather I should say a Great Lakes uh, shipping disaster, which occurred on the uh, waters of uh, Lake Michigan. The Bradley, uh, the Bradley actually was slated to be um, scheduled for uh, repairs, and, um, and those, they knew that the repairs had to be done, but the captain uh, of the ship got a um, order at the last minute to, um, to take another uh, load of uh, cargo, uh, most notably uh, natural resources, that is, because that's what Great Lakes freighters were known for uh, transporting. Uh, They still do, but there are other things that they uh, transport. But the bottom line is that the uh, Carl Bradley was um, requested at the very last minute to uh, take another uh, load of uh, cargo from uh, point A to point B, and uh, she left uh, Gary, Indiana, and then was making her way, supposed to make her way back up north, uh, I want to say, to um, the port of Calcite up in the uh, northern end of um, the state of Michigan, not far from the Upper Peninsula where uh, Rogers City is. Uh, that was uh, the Carl Bradley's uh, primary um, port call, given that uh, the port of Calcite's not far from Rogers City, uh, and it turns out that uh, the majority of the uh, men whom uh, perished on the Bradley were from uh, Rogers City. I want to say it was just over uh, 20 men whom um, who lost their lives. I want to say 20 or 24 of the uh, fatalities aboard the Bradley uh, were men whom hailed from uh, Rogers City, which is a rather uh, small uh, community. It's one of those... Um, places where you would want to get away, uh, especially if you were uh, from the hustle and bustle of cities south uh, around the Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois line, such as uh, Detroit, uh, Lansing, um, Kalamazoo, uh, Dearborn, uh, Grand Rapids, Flint. Uh, So if you're looking for a getaway from those uh, cities, then you would want to come up to um, Rogers City. So sadly, uh, the Bradley perished in a um, violent storm where uh, warm and cold air uh, collided. Not just warm and cold air, but um, weather uh, fronts collided that produced a a storm out of nowhere. It had been very uh, mild going into the start of November, and that's usually what seems to have happened with a lot of um, shipwrecks along the Great Lakes is that the sudden change of weather uh, paralyzes not just those in the mainland, but those out on the water, around the Great Lakes waters, whom are um, 
putting in one more uh, run uh, to get you know bonuses uh, to get um, an extra incentive uh, from the um, from the uh, head honchos. But sadly, the Bradley was caught in a very violent storm that that uh, tragically um, forced the ship to end up uh, splitting. Uh, the ship uh, was at least uh, 30 years of age when she went down, by the time she went down. But nonetheless, it was a, a very uh, terrible uh, travesty. At that time, she, leading up to her sinking, she was the largest ship on the Great Lakes waters. And of course, what do you know? In 1958, the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, two months before the Bradley sinking, made her uh, inaugural um, voyage along uh, Great Lakes waters and setting a uh, record load for uh, hauling cargo. The Bradley was doing that left and right. But over time, it's one thing to haul record loads of cargo, but even hauling record um Halls of uh, cargo, or even, um, how do I say it, picking up um, loads of cargo and hauling them at a record's uh, pace does have um, repercussions to where it does cause internal damage to the inside of the ship with regards to the cargo holds. So we should be reminded, even on Great Lakes waters, that even the largest of uh, straight-decker vessels are not always immune to Mother Nature's wrath, and here we are in the month of November. When the skies of November turn gloomy, nothing is certain. And I think we could say, uh, like just now with the um, lake effect snowstorm that has um, paralyzed uh, western New York, northwest Pennsylvania, northeast Ohio, that's a great example right there of just how awesome Mother Nature can be when it's least expected. So, but anyways, I think it's time we better um, get focusing on our uh, podcast segment episode of the uh, the other side of the night, the Carpathia, the Californian, and the night the Titanic was lost. In this um, podcast segment, we are going to learn uh, more about um, the rescue, the search and rescue done by uh, Carpathia, and we're going to learn uh, how, exactly how many uh, passengers uh, Carpathia uh, rescues. Uh, that is those passengers whom survived um, whom survived uh, Titanic sinking. So our leadoff question is the following: What physical action began uh, taking place around 4:10 a.m. on April 15, 1912? Well, Carpathia crewmen began assisting Titanic passenger survivors off of the lifeboats and onto the ship. So in other words, they have um, they have uh, pulleys and other uh, systems in play to where they can uh, lower down um, rope to where they can uh, connect the the lifeboats and then start bringing people up. Not well, not so much in the lifeboats. I take it back, but they will be. Um, they will find ways. They will have. They already have methods in place for lo bringing people um, aboard um, the ship who ha who are on the lifeboat, and I'll tell you all that here in a moment. Captain Rostron uh, conferred with uh, Joseph Boxhall, Titanic's fourth officer, if in fact Titanic uh, did go down. Officer Boxhall responded while breaking down emotionally by saying in quotations, 
she went down about 2.30. Boxhall also told Rostron that perhaps hundreds to even somewhere around a thousand people could have been left on board even as the ship, a.k.a. Titanic, was sinking. That means, folks, that hundreds or thousands were not able to not only just get on, get access to getting onto a lifeboat, but it was pretty much left up to themselves as to whether or not they would uh, jump off the ship in hopes that one of the lifeboats nearby would be able to pull them out of the icy waters and into a boat. But many uh, were known to take matters into their own hands by simply jumping off of the boat with the hopes that they would be uh, rescued. Perhaps if I myself had not been able to get access to getting onto a lifeboat and knowing that I didn't have a whole lot of time left to live and knowing that my chances of survival were going to be very slim, I think I'd have no other choice but to jump off the ship. Of course, that would be uh, dangerous and yet scary because, you know, it's not like going off of a diving board or off of a high dive. I mean, when pe people who had... Uh, jumped off the ship when they uh, jumped, when they landed into the uh, waters of the North Atlantic Ocean that was even uh, that was probably even worse because you had uh, the water temperatures 28 degrees or less and you only have like maybe another 20 minutes to live so you are at your own mercy you know you could have a life jacket on but even that alone, is not going to assure you that you will be able to survive uh, past the threshold of 20 minutes. So, so think about it. You know that it is very likely, based upon what Fourth Officer Joseph Boxhall has told Captain Rostron, that most likely hundreds, or let alone a thousand, people could have been left aboard the ship as Titanic was sinking. Boxhall said he fired flares but was unable to hear from the masses whom went down with the ship. How many uh, Titanic survivors did the Carpathia rescue, given they were already in lifeboats? Just over 700, roughly 705, I should say. Captain Rostron was very saddened by the fact that his ship hadn't made it in enough time to where more survivors could have been saved. I can't blame the guy. I mean, he made a very, very heroic um, effort in getting 58 miles from uh, the southeast, from uh, from where they were southeast of Titanic, to get in as quick of time as they could um, to the uh, point of 41.46 uh, degrees longitude north, 50.14 uh, degrees latitude west. They made it as fast as they could, but by the time they got to that position, folks, there was nothing to be found. Very uh, scary, but yet, you know, Captain Rostron um, was relieved in knowing that over 700 Titanic passengers' lives had been saved as a result of their 58-mile trek uh, journey. So, for Captain Rostron, he knows that this was very well worth it. I mean, if Somebody had to come to the rescue of these passengers. I'm glad that it was uh, 
Captain Rostron and his crew that came to the rescue of these passengers and not Captain Stanley Lord of a Californian. Do you really think Captain Lord would have uh, known how to have treated the passengers with compassion, given what a uh, what a real jerk he he was based upon um, what what was discussed from the uh, previous podcast segment? Yes, if I had to choose between who was going to come and rescue me, I'd rather it be the Carpathia over the Californian. That's not to say that Captain Lord's officers below him, who went above and beyond to do their job, would have shown compassion towards Titanic's passengers, but I just don't think having a, a guy like Captain Stanley Lord in charge of a of a unforeseen situation would really be a good fit, or would have been a good fit to have said the least. Carpathia had performed in a manner like none other, given the task that laid before them. Captain Rostron and his crew performed every task to the utmost ability, knowing just how many untold numbers, numbers of people's lives aboard Titanic were depending on someone, a.k.a. A ship, whom could rescue those who still had a chance to survive the unthinkable. Hey, I mean, for those who've survived Titanic, they deserve to live. Yes, and and it's probably fair to say that many of those uh, survivors probably did think Titanic was unsinkable. But yet, now they've come to the realization that what they had been told for so long or led to believe is no longer relevant. Yes, a ship as big as Titanic, 882 feet long being as long as four city blocks, two and a half football fields. Yes, a ship of that size is not immune to anything unforeseeable. But in 1912, there were plenty of uh, those in the shipping industry whom uh, felt that the Titanic represented the final triumph of technology over nature. Boy, I tell you, if there, if for those people who said that she was the final triumph of technology over nature, and they and they weren't aboard the ship, but learned obviously now have learned what has happened to the ship. I hope those people were eating their words. I hope that those people had to shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, that sounds harsh, but you have to be careful what you say. I mean, yes, you'd like to think that nothing could go wrong. But sadly, the inevitable did happen. So no matter how sophisticated the ship is, no matter how big it is, no matter how, pro how much progress man has made in technology, even by 1912 standards, what did man fail to, to learn? Well, he failed to learn that uh, Mother Nature has the final say. He learned, failed to learn that no matter how sophisticated his technology would be, nature in the end, would prevail. And that's what happened. As dawn itself became more visible, Captain Rostron saw the rest of Titanic's lifeboats spread out between four to five miles of sea. Carpathia's passengers could now see for themselves, firsthand, up close, the perilous state of many Titanic survivors, which for the Carpathia passengers made them sad, heartstruck, disbelief, knowing that the world's largest ocean vessel has sunk, and yet knowing that probably, they probably knew that there was 
over a thousand people aboard the ship, knowing that thousands of people didn't make it out alive. If I was a passenger aboard the Carpathia and saw uh, lifeboats spread out nearby, yeah, it would really hit me. Because I'd have to put myself in their shoes and think, what if this had been me? What if I'm a survivor? But also knowing that, okay, if I survived, what if um, my significant other didn't survive? What if uh, a relative didn't? There are so many unknowns now facing those who have survived. Well, one Carpathia passenger um, probably got the biggest shock of his lifetime, uh, Charles Hurd. He was asleep the entire time Carpathia had altered its course to rescue uh, Titanic, or most notably to rescue those whom had survived. Mr. Hurd woke up just after dawn to realize that Carpathia had stopped in the middle of the ocean. He wanted to know what was going on. Mr. Hurd's stewardess was in a pure state of sadness to where she um, told Mr. Hurd the following, in quotes, They are from the Titanic. She's at the bottom of the ocean. Mr. Hurd didn't say anything else, and maybe that was okay. If seeing um, tears aboard his, if, if, if seeing tears on the face of his stewardess was not enough to convey that something wasn't right, then I don't know what else could have um, made Mr. Hurd um, realize that something so unthinkable did in fact happen. Mr. Hurd, like I said, he didn't say anything else, but but the the uh, expression on uh, his stewardess' face, including the words that she mentioned uh, that I just said uh, a second ago, that was enough to justify just how bad the situation itself was. Many of uh, Titanic's survivors were able to uh, cheer as they saw Carpathia up close. Well, I think it is fair to say that those who survived did have a right to be happy, knowing that part of their nightmare has come to an end, but knowing that there is a boat nearby that has come to, the, come to their rescue and is going to provide them with some shelter. It's going to provide them, the, the crew aboard the boat will uh, see to it that they get the um, assistance they need. So, yes, many Titanic survivors cheered as they saw the Carpathia up close. Boat 13, the passengers um, aboard Boat 13 sang in quotations, Pull for the shore, sailor. But in, boat, but in lifeboat number 7, the lookout crewman said, in quotes, It's all right. Ladies, do not grieve. We are picked up. The women in boat seven sat quietly, but yet showed signs of relief upon Carpathia's arrival. Could it be fair to say that the that if in fact lifeboat seven was made up of all women, is it fair to say that the majority of those uh, female passengers were married and lost husbands? Yes, it is possible that perhaps some of the. Uh, female passengers in life, Lifeboat 7 were um, single women. Either way, there is a um, terrible state of loss, not just so much that the ship has sank, 
but perhaps for many of these women aboard Lifeboat 7, knowing that their husband has died, and if there are children, the children are now left fatherless. At 6 a.m., survivors from Boat 3, Lifeboat 3, began climbing aboard the Carpathia. Some had used rope ladders to make it aboard. Children were brought up in mail sacks. So, you know, think about it, folks. We don't have uh, escalators like, you know, you'd see at shopping malls or shopping centers to be able to get up from uh, one floor to another. Uh, Carpathia doesn't have that. Uh, this is not Royal Caribbean Cruise Line. As more and more Titanic passenger survivors came aboard, Carpathia did widespread frantic activity ensue. Yes, those whom survived desperately sought out other loved ones from spouses, from child or children and other relatives to friends. I think it's fair to say that um, if a husband and wife were separated, and the wife was in, got into a lifeboat first before her husband, I think it'd be fair to say that um, that the wife is immediately going to start, once she gets aboard Carpathia, she, her first response is probably going to be, John, George, where are you? Can you hear me? Well, some searches aboard Carpathia were, in fact, met with uh, positive end results. Here's an example. Dr. Washington Dodge. Sounds like a first-class passenger, maybe based upon uh, his title. Dr. Washington Dodge was reunited with his wife and son. He was separ They were separated on uh, Titanic's boat deck, that is, Dr. Dodge. He, he had made sure that his wife and son had gotten into a lifeboat first. But it turns out that Dr. Dodge uh, made it to another boat where he manned an oar, and what do you know? A miracle happened uh, once this family got made it aboard Titanic. They didn't. Uh, they all didn't uh, get aboard Carpathia right away. I meant to say, but they were reunited, and that was um, a blessing. However, um, I should point out that not all reunions had good outcomes. I think it's fair to say that m most reunions. If they didn't have a, a full 100% outcome, they had at best they were they would have been lucky at best if there had been a 50% reunion. If there was a 100% reunion aboard uh, passengers whom were related to one another on Carpathia, it was uh, in the minority, uh, a very very small minority at best. As for reunions that didn't have good outcomes, uh, here's one in particular. Mrs. John B. Thayer and her son Jack were, reuni were reunited. Okay, so that, that part's good. But Mrs. Thayer said to her son Jack, in quotes, Where's Daddy? All Jack could say next was, in quotes, I don't know. Sadly, Mr. Thayer, the husband and father, husband to... Um, Mrs. Jack, Mrs. John B. Thayer, and father to son Jack Thayer, Mr. Thayer died on Titanic's boat deck. What a sad loss, knowing that, knowing that uh, 
the father had, you know, oversaw to it that his uh, wife and son um, got immediate attention first, part of the women and children protocol. But yet knowing that um, he, um, you know, waited behind, probably thinking that maybe the ship wasn't going to sink after all, because, you know, as we learned in the previous podcast segment or podcast segment or two um, with regards to episode that many uh, passengers were hesitant to uh, get on on board a lifeboat at first because for one they didn't want to be separated that is husbands and wives didn't want to but yet many did not believe that the Titanic in fact was going to sink. As of uh, 9 a.m. all of Titanic's survivors had made it aboard Carpathia. All right that means all 705 um, survivors did in fact make it aboard. Captain Rostron's assistants confirmed the official survival survivor total of 705. Sadly, more than 1,500 people perished on Titanic. Is it fair to say that when Titanic sunk in 1912 that it was the greatest uh, maritime uh, disaster in, um, in peacetime? or in time of peace? Yes, it was. Oftentimes when we think of ships uh, sinking, it's usually in a time of war, but we have to remember uh, in 1912, we're just two years shy of World War I. So in 1912, the, this, the Titanic sinking um, was the greatest tragedy, maritime tragedy in the world for... Um, for being uh, that of uh, being in time of peace. Now, as for uh, Carpathia's uh, passengers, they um, they totally understood uh, what was going on, and that's a very good thing. Sure, there were those like Mr. and Mrs. Lewis Ogden who demanded to know what was going on, and they were given the information, but yet it's very fair to say that Carpathia's passengers were very compassionate. They, um, for many of them, their hearts sank, knowing that not just so much the world's largest ocean vessel sunk, but knowing those whom survived had lost so much. They lost, you know, like I said, they could have lost a husband, they could have lost a son, a daughter. Nobody... If anybody was immune from having and survived and did not lose a family member, say like, for example, of the uh, Dr. Washington Dodge family, they were in the elite minority. But if you are um, a passenger aboard Carpathia, now you have to put yourself in the survivors of the Titanic's shoes. But the um, passengers aboard Carpathia just didn't sit around. They actually went above and beyond to engage in acts of kindness. So, some of Carpathia's passengers went as far as finding extra clothes for survivors. They also gave up spare toiletry items, including toothbrushes. Some created extra room in their cabins for survivors. Talk about really being nice, folks in a terrible time of tragedy. Sometimes we have to stop and be reminded that even when a tragedy takes place, and we may not have been on the ship, that ultimately um, 
sync, we still have to uh, show we still have to show signs of um, consideration. We sh we still have to show signs of respect. We still have to um, show decency. And the Carpathia, given all that what Captain Rostron and his crew have done, this is a good example of not to get off track, but. I'm often reminded by it when uh, President John F. Kennedy gave his um, inauguration speech back on January the 20th of 1961. He said at the very end, I ask you, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So in the case of um, now with all the uh, Titanic uh, passengers aboard Carpathia, the Carpathia passengers they they now see for themselves this this um, is it up to us to go ask Captain Rostron what we can do or is it up to us as passengers to show those whom survived that we do in fact care about their well being and are now going to go above and beyond to help them well I don't think there would have been anything wrong with asking Captain Rostron what you could do. But if you see firsthand that there's something you can do, then go about doing it and know that you are doing it for the good of greater mankind, given that those whom have just entered onto your ship have survived something that, for one, they never envisioned they would um, have, that they would never envision uh, would have taken place, but two, knowing that, okay, if they survived, there were so many others that didn't, and many of those others that didn't could have been people they were related to. So much at stake here. So then there were uh, Carpathia passengers. Um, <clears throat> despite all the good intentions on the part of Carpathia's passengers, this is something that has to be uh, kept in mind. I don't know if I was uh, blown away by it, but it was just one of those reminders that no matter how good our intentions are with helping people in times of crisis, some people, they may not mean to snap or react the way they do, but not everyone um, might show kindness right away. It has nothing to do with with being ignorant based upon what the um, provider is wanting to offer them, it's just the shock. And for some of Titanic's passengers, the shock is still there. Probably for all of them, but more so for others. So, despite all the good intentions on the part of uh, Carpathia's passengers, some were met with unease by Titanic survivors. A uh, good example came with the following, uh, Mrs. Ogden. We've mentioned about the Ogdens quite a bit from uh, the Carpathia, but Mrs. Ogden, a Carpathia passenger, she brought a tray of coffee cups over to two women by themselves. These were Titanic uh, survivors. She brought uh, a tray of coffee cups over to the two women along the upper deck. They waved Mrs. Og Ogden off by saying, in quotes, Go away. We've just seen our husbands drown. You know, for some people, it's just too much to take in at once. I'm sure that um, that the wives who who just lost their husbands, 
did deep down inside appreciate what Mrs. Ogden was trying to do, but perhaps it just was not the right time to come by and check on them. And sometimes that's, that's really what it is. Good intentions are always important, but sometimes some people don't always respond right away um, in the manner that you would want them to. Remember a while back about a fellow named uh, James Bruce Ismay? Didn't he have a, a top-level uh, position with the White Star Line? As a matter of fact, uh, didn't his father uh, come to the uh, rescue of the White Star Line in um, the late 1860s and uh, resurrected the White Star Line to where he was able to get it out of uh, bankruptcy? Yes, uh, James uh, Bruce Ismay's father being uh, Thomas Ismay. So the question here is, did James Bruce Ismay, chairman of the White Star Line, survive Titanic's sinking? Yes, he did. Now, I didn't know anything about uh, Bruce, James Bruce Ismay until I watched uh, James Cameron's um, movie a quarter of a century ago, uh, Titanic. Matter of fact, it is hard to believe that was 25 years ago. I was a senior in high school. I remember watching that movie more than once in the theater. Not so much because of the love story between um, Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, but I was really captivated, of course, by the history of, of Titanic. Of course, no matter how much you learn about Titanic, you're always bound to learn something else that you didn't know before, and that's that's what makes the um, irony and the um, story about the ship all the more intriguing. But I didn't know anything about James Bruce Ismay until I um, watched um, James Cameron's uh, Titanic. I did not know that, of course, at that time that he was chairman of the White Star Line. So, yes, he did survive. And, of course, I remember in the movie, uh, the man who portrayed uh, James Bruce Ismay getting onto a lifeboat and the um, officers not, not doing anything about it. So, yes, um, he survived Titanic sinking, and while aboard Carpathia, he remained behind closed doors. In other words, he didn't want to be seen by anybody. Everything pretty much got brought to him, most notably his meals, and probably um, towels, you know, for getting a shower, other, you know, necessities, and basically, he just uh, demonstrated uh, the utmost level of unwillingness there was to be to not be seen by anybody. As a matter of fact, Ismay was probably smart enough to know that his survival would have presented an issue onto itself, considering so many other men from first, second, and third class went down with Titanic, including the Titanic's own captain, Edward J. Smith, and her builder-slash-designer Thomas Andrews. The mortality rate among male passengers in Titanic's uh, second class went above 90%. Captain Rostron did meet with uh, Bruce Ismay. Rostron asked uh, Mr. Ismay if he wanted to return to New York, and Ismay's response was yes. He wanted to go to New York. I don't know where else the guy would have gone, 
but that was his only viable option because that's where uh, Carpathia is going. Now, and because re remember that was the final, um, the final uh, stopping point of this uh, maiden voyage of Titanic's going from Southampton, England to New York. It should uh, be pointed out, uh, and I don't think most people know this. I didn't know it too, but uh, Titanic did make some other stops along the way. Um, yes, she departed out of Southampton, England, but she did make some extra stops along her um, maiden voyage and picking up other uh, extra passengers, most notably in uh, Queenstown, Ireland, and in uh, Cherbourg, France, before she um, before she uh, went into full-scale uh, uh, motion by going across the heart of the uh, North Atlantic Ocean. What kind of uh, problem did wireless messaging present given Titanic had recently sunk? Okay, so what is the problem here, folks, with wireless messaging? Well, th there are a couple. For starters, the world was in need of the latest news information regarding the ship's disaster. Okay, remember, folks, we don't have cell phones in 1912, so we don't have breaking news alert apps. Yes, I would imagine that there has been some official word of Titanic's disappearance, but at the same time, I don't know if anybody knows exactly for sure if, in fact, the ship has sunk to where um, now people can say hundreds, if let alone thousands, have perished. So yes, the world was in need of the latest news information regarding the, the disaster. Secondly, many families were anxiously waiting official word on the status of missing loved ones to letting those in need of confirmation know that a family member or members of a family were in fact alive. So there needs to be official word, okay, if in, if in fact someone is missing... You've got to, you're holding out on hope, knowing that, okay, they might be missing at this moment, but there still is hope that they could be uh, rescued. It's a, a lot of hit and miss, which makes the, um, which makes, uh, which would have made a lot of people's anxiety um, go through the roof. Captain Rostron had a strong understanding of wireless communication and therefore decided that messages deemed, or I should say labeled essential or classified as being essential, would have to take top priority in being sent above all others. Rostron advised Harold Cottam to relay the news to the Cunard and White Star offices in New York, which included providing survivors' names the first message that uh, Harold Cottam sent out was to Philip A.S. Franklin, vice president of the White Star Line in New York. The message itself centered on Bruce Ismay's desire to have the Titanic crew be returned to England as soon as possible so they could resume working operations so that they could resume working operations given their pay had stopped from the moment Titanic immediately sank. What is Bruce Ismay thinking? Is he trying to um, get these people back to England so that they don't, so that they can just go on with their lives as if nothing had happened? Perhaps, but I just think Bruce Ismay's 
his message alone to me is ridiculous. And here, this man is not going to be spared. I mean, down the road um, here soon, when we get into uh, another podcast segment or two down the road, we're going to learn in the uh, we're going to learn from the inquiries in the United States and in England about Bruce Ismay taking the stand. He won't be. Um, he won't go. Um, how do you, how do I say it? He won't go um, undetected. In other words, he's going to have to um, be held to some accountability for his actions. But I just think his uh, message was very odd, nonetheless. And um, wanting Titanic's crew to be returned to England as soon as possible, they so that they could resume working operations. Given that their pay had stopped from the moment Titanic immediately sank, it just seems like Bruce Ismay is really focused on the almighty dollar, and yet he doesn't really appear to show any sign of emotion over the fact that 1,500 people lost their lives. I mean, wh where is this guy's compassion? It's not there. Kind of, maybe not a full-scale comparison, but I could... It, to me, I could see some similarities between him and uh, California's uh, Captain uh, Stanley Lord. The New York Times um, revealed, or rather I should say received a bulletin from Cape Race in Newfoundland around 1.20 a.m. April the 15th, confirming Titanic did in fact strike an iceberg and, th and that the steamer was in need of fast assistance. Carr Van Onda who was a New York Times managing editor, began to suspect the worst. One hour after 1.20 a.m., given nobody else heard anything new, for Mr. Van Onda, what set in, his, what set, what set in play for him was that the unthinkable had happened. The Titanic being the unsinkable ship, had sunk. And as a matter of fact, the Virginian, is, is if we remember from, our, from a previous podcast, was the last uh, ship to have uh, contact with um, Titanic around 2.17 a.m. Uh, when t Titanic sent out her last uh, wireless message, it was a uh, faint one, a faint uh, CQD distress message. And at 2.20 a.m., she was gone. Gone from the face of the earth. Car Van Onda of the New York Times beat White Star Line officials by becoming uh, the first source in breaking the news of the ship's ultimate demise. At 6.15 p.m., April the 15th, 6.15 in the evening, folks, the Olympic, Titanic's twin sister... So if if Titanic officially sank at 2:20 a.m., let's get let's get the hour straight here. At almost 14 hours, folks, after Titanic had sunk, the Olympic, being Titanic's twin sister ship, finally broke the news to Philip Franklin, uh, the White Star Line's vice president, by confirming to him that the Titanic did in fact go down at 2.20 a.m. with over a 1,000 passengers still aboard and survivors, those who survived, being rescued by Carpathia, being taken to New York. For Mr. Franklin, um, 
this was beyond his um, imagination. I mean, if I was in Mr. Franklin's shoes, I'd probably, I don't know, I would be, um, I'd be very, very traumatized, shocked, pure disbelief. But for Mr. Franklin, it took him one hour and 15 minutes before he could face the barrage of news reporters. You know, it's one thing to have to break the news from within the inner circle, but to have to go before all the news reporters, it's tough. Because once you share this with the news reporters, then they're going to start asking questions left and right like there's no tomorrow. After all, this was a big deal. I mean, it's one thing to report news, but when you but when you get the news that the world's largest ocean vessel has sunk, yeah, everybody and their brother is going to want to know every ounce of information there is possible so that they can tell the utmost proper story they can relay, uh, whether they work for the local newspaper or for a national newspaper like the New York Times. They want to get to the bottom of the story, but they want to report the story that's most accurate. By 10 a.m. on April the 15th, people began assembling in front of the White Star Line's office, or offices. Shortly, or rather I should say not long after official news of Titanic broke out, some, pe some people um, were able to um, get this news, and they were family members who uh, would learn that their loved ones uh, passed away, such as um, Mrs. Ben Guggenheim, Vincent Astor, the son of John Jacob Astor. And John Jacob Astor uh, was, in fact, um, the richest uh, passenger aboard uh, Titanic. Matter of fact, um, there is a hotel um, called the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, and that is connected to the Astor family. After leaving uh, Mr. Franklin's uh, office, because Mr. Franklin was the one that had to break the news to Mrs. Ben Guggenheim and Vincent Astor, the son of John Jacob Astor, Astor many of these uh, people, include, you know, say even for Mrs. Ben Guggenheim and Vincent Astor, they're saddened, angry, along with many others. In the days after April the 15th, the death toll count rose. 1,502 being the number of people whom died aboard Titanic. 325 was the total number of first-class passengers. 123 died. Okay, so 325 first-class passengers are aboard Titanic. 123 died. 285 represented second-class passengers. 167 died. 706 um, was the number of third-class passengers, and 528 died. Is it fair to say that many third-class passengers might have been kept um, down below to where they might not have had access in getting up to the uh, boat deck level? Yes. And I'll tell you more here shortly. One uh, theory that um, historians have come up with, and this is worth uh, mentioning, Given that there were 325 first-class uh, passengers and 123 died, is it fair to say that roughly one-third of those uh, first-class passengers that did survive were uh, male passengers? Yes. So if one-third of Titanic's first-class male passengers did survive, 
Titanic sinking, this meant they would have boarded the first four to five lifeboats based upon the fact there was no sense of urgency. And more than likely, those um, male passengers that boarded the first four to five lifeboats probably were allowed to do so under First Officer Will Murdoch's um, approval. Because for First Officer Will Murdoch, he remember he interpreted women and children as being much different than Second Officer Charles uh, Lightoller. For Officer Will Murdoch, he had a hard time um, persuading um, female passengers to board because many of them didn't want to leave their husbands. So what did he do? He bent the rules and was kind enough to let husband and wife board the boats and for for all single men and single women to uh, get up on board the boats as well. So that should tell you right there that the first four to life four to five lifeboats that were uh, launched were in fact um, made up of uh, first class male passengers. Uh, a majority of them were. But many of the uh, male, first class male passengers stayed aboard Titanic voluntarily to help others onto uh, lifeboats. I think one of the best examples, and I remember learning this in uh, James Cameron's Titanic. This is where I first had first learned about Mr. Benjamin Guggenheim, first class passenger, uh, very well-to-do man. He said in quotes, in quotations, We have dressed in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen. For Benjamin Guggenheim, he knew that the most appropriate thing to do would be to act like a true gentleman in, in allowing those below him to have a chance to survive and allow them to, um, in other words, allow them to um, have a better um, opportunity for living. Benjamin Guggenheim, I don't believe, I don't know if he was quite 50 years old just yet by 1912, but he wasn't super old. But yet, he was doing something noble and allowing those who may have been less fortunate than him to, um, to be able to um, go about living their lives. Perhaps Mr. Guggenheim saw everything he wanted to see in life. I do know that he left behind a wife and children whom were not um, on Titanic. The most famous example of a couple that didn't want to... Um, be separated from one another was Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Isidore Strauss, Isidore and Ida Strauss, and I learned about them in uh, James Cameron's movie. There was a scene uh, at the very end where they were both uh, together in bed, hugging one another, knowing that they were going to go down with the ship, and um, and that's what happened. They uh, both um, they both didn't want to be separated from one another, and. Um, and so, therefore, they uh, both went down together. Now, were the majority of Titanic's passengers third class? Yes. Many, if not all, third class peoples had been placed at the bottom of the class scale prior to and come 1912. And I had learned from a, a magazine um, that I read on Titanic uh, not long ago that the White Star Line believed that third class people, they were very vulnerable, the third class were, given that... There was this attitude or belief that the third class, that third class people were responsible, believe it or not, folks, for such things as disease transmitters. 
based upon their upbringings per ancestral lands. So in other words, they were afraid that if they put the third-class passengers with second-class passengers, for example, that they would, um, that they could um, not so much physically harm a second-class passenger, but, but perhaps um, make others sick to where there could be outbreaks of disease aboard the ship. Uh, to me, that's, um, I mean, to me, it's very uncalled for, but sadly, that was part of the norm or into the eyes of the White Star Line as part of their, um, as part of their beliefs under the Edwardian society. But it turns out that many third-class men and women did reach the boat deck where the lifeboats were, and it really was a case of sheer luck. So for those third-class people that did survive, that to me was really an act of God. What became uh, the greatest unknown tragedy to the Titanic sinking, which left many Americans completely unaware about? And I didn't, and I would not have known this too, and I didn't know it until I read the book. But the majority of those whom perished aboard Titanic were not from first class, second, or third class. It was Titanic's crew, those who uh, who worked um, on the ship. They, the majority of those people perished. 891, folks, represents the total number of crewmen aboard uh, Titanic. Only 207 survived, folks. That means 684 crewmen went down with the ship. So if you do the math, you divide 684 into 891. That equals out to 76.7 or 77%. Folks, 77% of Titanic's crew died. Only 23% survived. That means less than a fourth of Titanic's crew survived. Four out of every crewman aboard Titanic came from Southampton, a port city on England's southern coast uh, located in the county of Hampshire. And you know, we, there's a, we have a state in, in the United States called New Hampshire, I'm wondering if that may have derived from the county of Hampshire in southern England. It's possible. Southampton was the departure point for the RMS Royal Mail Steamer Titanic and was home to nearly 500 men whom perished on April the 15th, 1912. To me, that is a definitely a forgotten um, tragedy. It's something that should not be overlooked. I think for a long time we focused on the, the passengers who died, but really, folks, remember, the majority of the people who died, that is the majority of the 1,500 people who went down with Titanic, were third class and uh, the crewmen. Did Guglielmo Marconi, inventor of the wireless operating machine, try making a deal with the New York Times on behalf of operators Harold Cottam and Jack Phillips? Uh, yes, he did. Marconi himself desperately wanted both operators to spend a few hours talking with news reporters and in return get thousands of dollars per sharing further information regarding Titanic. And Jack Phillips was one of the, uh, one of the Titanic wireless operators who survived. Do you think Jack Phillips is in the mood to talk to uh, news reporters given what he went through? No. All in the name of uh, chasing the almighty dollar? I don't think so. Ethics, folks. 
even ethics in in the midst of a terrible tragedy are coming into question. There are those whom want the news right away. There are those whom are looking for 15 minutes of fame because they got a report from a wireless operator or from someone else, and he and he was able to fulfill their their wishes. You know, yes, it's one thing to report the story, but it's not about the money, folks. It's about reporting a story that's accurate, fair, not biased, but don't do it for the money. Money is a dangerous thing, even in times of a, a crisis. Nothing ever evolved from this deal or scheme, thank heavens, so therefore it never went through, but Guglielmo Marconi himself was criticized profusely for using bad judgment, and why not? But he was cleared of all wrongdoing. April the 18th of 1912 is essentially important because this will mark the day that the Carpathia is due to officially arrive into New York. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, folks, and when I'm on the air again next, we're going to uh, be discussing about uh, New York and Boston. So uh, we have a lot more to uh, discuss, but this has been uh, very well worth the while. Thank you for your time as always. Uh, thank you again for being such ardent listeners, and thank you for taking an interest in this uh, book topic series. Just when we think we've learned everything there is to know about the world's largest ship from, from over 110 years ago, we are learning more and more about the secrets she holds. Secrets that are intriguing, secrets that are shocking, secrets that, um, that can make us cringe. But the bottom line is that, yes, Titanic may have perished 110 years ago, but her memory still lives on, and her uh, story is still is continuously being told, for better or for worse. Well, thank you for your time, and I look forward to being back on the air again next, and wherever you all may live, continue to stay safe. Take care.